Good morning. Scotland. The first time I heard that word, I was in first grade. We were given cards with our names printed on them. I had never seen my name in print before, but I thought my name was Patsy, or Patsy, as my dad said. So when I saw this long name, Patricia McFarlane, and I noticed others in my class with shorter names, Joan Hyde, Mary Smith. I tried to get Susie Klein to trade name cards with me. She refused. However, in high school, we were the best of friends. She now is a retired Dominican nun living in Florida, and she's still Susie Klein. The day I received that long Patricia McFarlane name card, I went home and complained to my parents. Why do I have to have such a long name? And there's two capital letters in my last name, two. And in between them, that funny little C with a line under it. That's when my dad explained that he was born in another country, Scotland. And our name, McFarlane, was that of a clan with many different spellings. When I heard that name, Scotland, I felt cold chills and was certain I had lived there in another lifetime. Many years later, I did come to believe in reincarnation. Of all my siblings, I was the only one in the family who became relentlessly curious about my father's country, so much so that my mother accused me of not showing much interest in her birthplace. Somehow, Nuchamnach Ayrshire, Scotland, sounded more intriguing than Mom's hometown, Eureka, Illinois. <laughs> I studied all I could find concerning Scotland, and by fifth grade, I knew more about Sir William Wallace, the Black Douglas, and Robert the Bruce than I did about Thomas Jefferson or Alexander Hamilton, the rest of our American heroes. Well, in case you're wondering, I'm getting to my father now. <laughs> okay. He did not speak much about the old country, but I did learn that at the age of 19, he tried to start a union in the coal mines in Cumnock. And while they didn't have Molly Maguires like we had here, evidently there was a fearsome lot of union busters coming for him, prepared to shorten his life. So he needed to leave his country in a hurry. No time to wait for the next ship to America. The first one departing was to Canada. Although he had two brothers already here in the States, in Peoria, Illinois, his immigration started in Canada. As the story goes, Dad had a rich uncle on the Irish side of the family. This uncle offered to send him to medical school, pay his way, the whole works, but Dad refused. He wanted to play professional soccer. After his refusal, he never heard from the rich uncle again. And I think that's how Dad received the title, a stubborn Scotsman. My mom seemed to know that title for him also. So he's living in Canada, 
and he's playing professional soccer. At times, his team would travel to Peoria or Chicago, and sometimes he'd play against his Peoria residing brothers, who also played soccer, my Uncle Tommy and Uncle Jock. Mom saved sports articles from the newspapers of the day. Many of the headlines read, McFarland Brothers in Donnybrook dash again. That Donnybrook is a bit of a scramble or a fight. Nationalism wasn't mentioned, but was certainly practiced. The Brits against everyone else. After one of the Peoria games, Dad decided to remain here. That's the illegal part. He's living in Peoria, married and starting a family, quite often it seems, as we eventually added up to nine kids. Dad worked for many years at Caterpillar. When Cat went on strike, and it often did, he became creative in order to feed his growing family. It seemed he could do just about anything. Once he built a frog pen in our backyard at our home in Peoria Heights. He planned on raising frogs and tried to convince people what a delicious delicacy frog legs were. That was a brief career. <laughs> and saying the French liked frog legs was not helpful. During another strike, when it was close to the Christmas season and looked like a bleak Christmas ahead, Dad began carving wood carving toys. No, well, that's it. He'd stay up half the night creating and carving. I guess he finally ran out of wood to carve because he began to take some of the old toys, especially the boys' things, and repaint them. They looked as good as new, and maybe that was his idea of regifting. That year, we had the biggest, most memorable Christmas of any year. I remember my oldest brother, Jimmy, got to distribute the presents from under the tree. Everything was gift-wrapped that the kids would give each other, some things with skimpy tissue paper and a stringy ribbon, some things wrapped in the comic pages from the newspaper. After every gift was handed out, or so we thought, we noticed a plain brown bag just sitting there. Jimmy picked it up, held it rather daintily, and said, what's this? Well, my younger brother, Johnny, was known to be rather laid back, actually lazy. <laughs> he yawned and said, oh, that's some socks for the girls. Give them to them and let them fight over them. <laughs> With our size family, we didn't have doctor appointments. The doctor came to our house. Conveniently, we all got the childhood diseases at the same time. Measles, mumps, chicken pox, the disease of the month. It was convenient for the doctor, not my parents. Dad had some medical skills and had a remedy for everything. Once, when one of my brothers acquired a broken finger, Dad made him a splint using a popsicle stick. No need to call the doctor. Whenever mom had a new baby, no, no, he didn't deliver the babies. <laughs> okay, but when mom had a new baby, she stayed in the hospital for two weeks. They stayed that long in those days. 
She thought of it as a vacation. And we, the kids, were separately distributed among friends or relatives. We also thought of it as our vacation. I always loved staying at my Aunt Belle and Uncle Jock's. Not only were they both born in Scotland, so were two of their children. I could never understand anyone in their household. My aunt would ask, do you want a whisk a tea? And I'd say, huh? She'd repeat it, and I'd say, huh? Finally, she'd say, what's the matter, Patsy, are you deaf? And I'd say, huh. <laughs> but I loved staying there, and for two weeks afterwards, I'd talk just like them. My parents weren't happy about that. Come to find out, it wasn't the accent that bothered them. Everyone in my aunt and uncle's family cussed. <laughs> All the time. Just the usual hell and dams and the bloody this and bloody that's. Many years later, my Aunt Belle took a job as a house mother for a Bradley fraternity. Evidently, she was no longer cussing because all those frat boys watched their language in front of sweet little Granny Belle, as they called it. <laughs> when World War II began in Europe and Great Britain was being attacked by Germany, I recall how exciting it seemed when Dad received a phone call from his mother in the old country. But I was sad to realize she had called to tell him England and Scotland were under attack. I'm not certain if the Blitzkrieg, which began in 1939, had begun yet, but my memory was that it was the first time I ever saw my father quietly crying. He also quit referring to one of his friends on the soccer team as Eh, you bloody Englishman. I thought bloody was his first name. <laughs> it, it seemed so colorful. <laughs> While we're living a noisy life in Peoria Heights, Dad began giving talks for the Catholic Church. Did I tell you we were Catholic? His talks were for a group called the Te Deum Forum. Te Deum means of God and he worked hard to get his speeches just right and trying to lose his Scottish accent. He gained a reputation for being a good speaker, so much so that one year the Scottish American Society invited him to give the Burns Night talk on, of course, Robert Burns, the national poet of Scotland. Throughout the world, wherever Scots were gathered on January 25th, Robert a Robbie Burns, was celebrated and toasted. In Peoria, it was an annual dinner with Scottish dancing, bagpipes, a different speaker every year, and of course, haggis. If you don't know what that is, you're lucky. <laughs> I, I'm gonna tell you though, okay. Picture eating something that kind of looks and tastes like oatmeal, but spices, cooked in the belly of a sheep. Doesn't that sound delicious? <laughs> when Dad was invited to give that speech, an emergency had come up. Whether it was family or work, I don't recall. But it seemed Dad had very little time to prepare his talk or to write it out. However, 
He was there, his talk in hand, stepped up to the podium and realized the podium light was not working in a dimly lit room. He could barely see anything he had written. He said he stumbled through his speech and was unhappy about his performance. Now this is where I find out my dad can laugh at himself because the next year he's present at the Burns Night celebration once again, seated at a table next to someone he didn't know. Dad picked up the program, began looking through it, then said to the man, I wonder who the speaker is tonight. The man said, I don't know, but he's bound to be a lot better than last year's speaker. (laughs) My father had a keen sense of humor. I once overheard another story, which I probably shouldn't have. During the war, Dad used to carpool to Caterpillar, and among his seatmates was a woman who annoyed him with many personal questions. One day, she leaned from the back seat toward Dad in the front and said, Oh, Mr. McFairling, you have the most beautiful teeth. Dad took out his false teeth, (laughs) offering them to her, and said, Here, would you like to try them on? (laughs) Yes, soccer was a rough sport. You not only lost teeth, but they used to hit the ball with their head. Who knows what they lost then? (laughs) My dad and Dr. John Kenney from Bradley University were responsible for bringing soccer to Peoria. During one of the Caterpillar strikes, dad headed a team of men from St. Thomas Church in the Heights, and they began constructing a new church. It's now the front part of St. Thomas since they added on each year or except through the years. None of the builders had much experience when they started. They were parishioners, yet it still is a beautiful edifice today. And the first baby to be baptized in the new church was my younger sister Kay. Dad also did some work for Mattarelli's grocery store, and the garage he built for him is still standing behind the nook on Prospect and Cyberling. The nook had been Mattarelli's grocery store, and their home was above it. After completing St. Thomas, he never returned to Caterpillar. Instead, he created his own company, James Scotty McFarland Construction Company. Our lives became more comfortable after that. When Dad worked at Caterpillar, he was very involved in the union and union meetings. Again, he was asked to give speeches. And after the war, my father and Father Shaughnessy, a Catholic priest, began working to get the communists out of the labor unions at Caterpillar. This was before the Joe McCarthy era, the US senator who led an anti-communist campaign in the early 50s. A personal aside here. After my husband Warren Harris and I had our first date, He told his father he had met a girl named Pat McFarlane. His dad replied, I used to carpool with her father. I remember many a night people would go up to him and say, Scotty, you better leave by the back door tonight. The commies are waiting with clubs for you. Hearing that, 
I flash back to a time I saw my father just sitting, unusual in the daytime. He looked in pain, and instead of his Celtic, ruddy complexion, he was covered with green and gray, not black and blue, but green and gray welts and bruises. At the time, I had no memory or no idea what that had happened, but that memory answered my question. One day, when I was in the seventh grade, my father walked into our home waving an American flag and singing, I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. The FBI had made him a legal citizen at last, but they had a motive. The FBI wanted Dad to become a communist, a double agent working for the FBI. Dad thought about it and then thought about his family. There were only six kids in the family then. Ultimately, he figured his life was exciting enough, so he declined their generous offer. When years later, we were moving from the Cyberling house, we discovered our phone had been tapped, bugged, but never knew whether it was the communists or the FBI. All I know is we, the kids, were worried we would get into deep trouble with someone because any time my mother went shopping on Saturday or went to the beauty shop, we all stopped doing our chores and began playing telephone games, calling Mattarelli's grocery store to ask, do you have Prince Albert in a can? <laughs> you do? Well, let him out. Or calling the Cassidy family on Grandview Drive and singing, brush your teeth with Colgate, Colgate dental cream. It cleans your breath, water toothpaste, while it cleans your teeth, Colgate toothpaste. We, we thought we were hilarious. <laughs> Remember, we didn't have TV in those days. <laughs> Thinking about whoever bugged our phone, I always pictured a lonely communist or a bored FBI agent listening to our giggling fun and maybe thinking about early retirement. <laughs> My father loved America, loved being an American. He was somewhat critical of Scots or Irish living here in our country 40 years after arriving off the boat, and their accents and brogues had become thicker and more pronounced over the years. He was determined to talk like an American, but thank goodness he couldn't just shake it all. He loved his, I loved his pronunciation of certain words. His daughters were not only his wee bonnie lassies, but sometimes just the gills. And I liked the way he said early, early. He would get up early in the morning. I heard him tell my youngest brother, Mike, go wash your hands, they're very dirty. And Mike said, is dirty the same as dirty? Dad said, yes, only dirtier. And there's my brother, Mike McFarlane. He's the youngest of the, and the only remaining brother. <laughs> Didn't expect that, did you, Mike? <laughs> After the war, the same war, not World War I. Okay, two of my dad's cousins came over for a visit. 
They sang in the pubs throughout Great Britain and were on an American tour. Some of their songs were still war-related. One of the songs referenced a, a battle with the Jerrys, the Germans, where they were distracted because of a Scots wig, 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 waggle of his kilt. Another song went, <clears throat> "'Twas not the Tommy guns that made the Jerrys run, but the Tory on his bonnet, a wee Tory on it, a wee red Tory, Okay, I'm not a vocalist <laughs> or even a singer, and certainly not Reverend Jennifer. Our minister has a beautiful voice, but she's on vacation and you've got me instead. So there's one more song I'd like to share with you, or cackle. Okay. It was made popular by Sir Harry Lauder, an elderly Scot from vaudeville days, who toured the States wearing his kilt, his sporran, his rakishly worn bonnet, and standing bow-legged with his crooked walking stick. Just a wee duck and Doris, a wee drop that's all, a wee duck and Doris, before we gain a wa. There's a wee wifey waiting in a wee hut and bin. But if you can say it's a bra black moonlit neck, you are right, you can. As I said, my father loved America and passed on to our family his love not only for Americans living here, but all the beautiful, diverse people, the immigrants who came here and continue to do so. Dad didn't have the Ellis Island experience and the entry under Lady Liberty, but I think he would appreciate these stanzas from Emma Lazarus' sonnet inscribed on the base of the Statue of Liberty. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land, here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air bridge harbor that Twin Cities frame. Keep ancient lands your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuge of our teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. We have chosen as a nation to be a blessing to the world. May it always be so.